Today is our last week, our last week in unmasking relationships. This has been a great series. And today I want to talk about the most important relationship of all, our relationship with God. And by the way, if we can get our relationship with God right, it will improve all of our other relationships. It will improve your marriage. It will improve your relationship with your siblings, with your kids, with your community. might even help your HOA. Okay? So every relationship, if our relationship with God is right, gets improved. That's why I saved the best for last in this series. How do we become friends with God? Have you ever thought about that? What kind of relationship does God really want to have with us anyway? What kind of relationship does God really want? What does he want it to look like with you? Our relationship with God has a lot of different aspects. God's our father. He's our creator. He's our maker. He's our judge. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. There are so many relationship aspects with our relationship with God. But the most shocking of all to me is that God wants us for a friend. I'm like, whoa, God wants me for a friend? God wants you for a friend? Absolutely. In fact, in James 4, we studied James last year going through the pandemic. In James chapter 4, it says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. It's really simple. Draw close to God, and he will draw close to us. When we want to know what a relationship with God is supposed to be like, when we want to know the original intent of God's relationship with us, we've got to go all the way back, all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis. Go all the way back to the garden. And when you study God's relationship with Adam and Eve... In Eden, Adam and, when God created Adam and Eve, they enjoyed an incredibly close friendship with God. There was no religion. Probably that helped. There was no rituals. There were no rules except one. The one rule was you do whatever you want, God said. You just can't eat from this one particular tree. That's the only rule. No regulations, no religious rigmarole. They, they, was, they just had a friendship. The Bible says that Adam and Eve delighted in God and God delighted in, in Adam and Eve. And that's the way that God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to have a simple, loving, friendship relationship with him. Adam and Eve, they were created to live in God's presence continually. We have been created to live in God's presence continually too. But the ideal got wrecked by sin. Ruined the friendship. Broke sin broke the friendship that they had with God, that we have with God. Sin broke the relationship. Sin broke the fellowship. Friendship with God was lost. And all through the Old Testament, because when you read on from Adam and Eve through the whole Old Testament, and that's like two-thirds of the whole Bible, what we discover is there aren't very many people who are described as being God's friend or the friend of God. Not very many at all. But in the Old Testament, it was an extreme privilege to be labeled a friend of God, but not very many people. Abraham was one. 
He was called God, God's friend, the friend of God. Moses was the friend of God. David was God's friend. The Bible says Enoch was listed as a friend of God. There weren't a whole lot of these people. Job, Job was one. I was a friend of God. But most people did not have a personal friendship, a personal relationship with God. In fact, most people, their relationship with God was, was more described by fear and by guilt. That was more common in a relationship with God than, than any other thing. Certainly not friendship, not love. In fact, in the Old Testament, for the entire Old Testament, priests had to prepare weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes months and months, to get ready to go into God's presence. It wasn't something that you could do any old day, and it wasn't something that anybody could do. In fact, not even all the priests could do it. Only one priest, the, the high priest, was able to do that. I'm looking up on my phone. Pastor Rich happened to post this yesterday. He wasn't in here in our early service. Some of y'all probably told him. I, I read his devotion off of his Facebook account and the whole, to, the whole, to the whole world who's watching. Those of you in India, hey, Sadir, good to see you. So Rich posted this. He said, Pastor Rich says, from my devotional, worth your time to read. He says, according to the law outlined in the Old Testament, God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies in the temple. The sacred section was separated from the holy place by a special veil that housed the Ark of the Covenant, which always symbolized God's presence. Leviticus 16 outlines the steps of atonement, the Jewish process for getting right with God before Jesus came. Depending on how you count it, there were like 35 steps that a priest must go through to make atonement for his sins and the sins of the people. Those steps included specific clothing, certain animals, lots of washing and bathing, all of that in order to go behind the veil into the presence of God. It took a lot of preparation in order to be right with God. Not just anybody could do it. In fact, there was just one special day a year that was set aside. But Jesus' sacrifice gained us unprecedented access to God the Father. Out of all the strange happenings on Good Friday, the tearing of the veil had to shake the religious crowd to the core. God was declaring no more, no more separation, no more sacrifices, no more ceremonial washing. My people are free to come to me whenever and however they want. And then it goes on to say, sometimes in our minds, we wonder if our past or our present is a barrier to knowing Christ. If you only knew what Jesus has done, he's torn the veil. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook, the clouds turned the sky black like night, and it says that the veil between the Holy of Holies and the temple, the place that has God... It was ripped, but from the top down, it was torn. And God was symbolizing that separation between God and man that had been going on for hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, that that was done. That Jesus was building a new bridge to God. That there was now no more separation between us and God. Everyone has access to God now. It wasn't one priest one time a year after all of this holy, holy, holy stuff. Now, anybody could have God's presence in their lives. You didn't need a priest. You didn't need anybody else. You could go directly to God. Don't take my word for this. Look at this beautiful passage from Romans. Romans chapter 
5. This is, this is another one of the great chapters of the Bible. Paul writes, he says, For our friendship, circle the word friendship, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship, circle new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends of God, circle friends of God. All because of what Jesus did, he has made us friends with God. On our own, we can't buy friendship with God. We can't earn friendship with God. We can't be good enough to have friendship with God. We can't bribe. We can't bargain. We can't berate God. We can't do anything to have a friendship with God. Except this. Receive the free gift of forgiveness for our sins that Christ offers us. A restoration of our friendship, our relationship with God. It's God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice that makes all this possible, and nothing else. God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice. John fifteen five, Jesus says it this way when he says it to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you my friends, circle friends. Do you realize how radical this is? That the God of the universe says, I want to be friends with you. I want you to be my friend. And the word here, I mean, the God who created all of the galaxies of the world, just let that sink in. God wants to be friends with you. Why in the world does that not impact us? And the word here that he says, friend, look, this is not like, he, where Jesus says, I don't, I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you my friends. The Greek word that's used there is not just in a, a casual acquaintance kind of a friend. This isn't like a Facebook friend he's talking about. You know most of your Facebook friends aren't really friends, right? It, this means a deep, personal, close, intimate comrade. The word that's used here is the word to describe a best man at a wedding. That this is your best man. This is the guy you depend on more than anybody else. The word that's used here is also used to describe a king's inner circle. Now, the king, a king of any country, any province, has a lot of acquaintances, thousands, maybe even millions of subjects, but he's got a few close friends. They're the intimate, trusted friends that he has in his inner circle. In a royal court, you walk into a royal court, some of you who you, you watch The Crown, you watch all these shows, you, you know when you go to see a king or a queen or somebody like that, there's all these protocols. Um, when I was a high school student at Boys Nation, I got a chance to meet Ronald Reagan when he was president in the Rose Garden. Let me tell you, there was an hour worth of rules and regulations before we ever got to be within you know, sight of President Reagan. You just don't walk up to a king or a queen or a head of a state and just walk up to them and, and grab them and touch them and start talking to them. You have all these, you have to stay a certain number of feet back. You have all, you've got to know when to bow. You've got this protocol, this etiquette and all these things. But if you're in their inner circle, you don't have to go by all those rules. You don't have to go by all those rituals. You get direct close contact to whoever it is. 
And you get direct access and you get confidential information. Some of you remember the old hymn I grew up with called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I won't sing it for you. They keep asking me not to sing. Actually, God doesn't just invite us to be a friend of Jesus. He says, I want you to be a friend of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be your friend as the Father. He invites us to be a friend of the entire Trinity. How important is this to God? How much of a big deal that you become God's friend? How important is that? It seems to be extremely important if you study Scripture. Let me just show you a couple of verses. All the way back to Exodus, Exodus 34. It says, The Lord is the God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Did you know that God gets jealous? The Bible says that God gets jealous anytime we put another God before him. Little G God. And we do this a lot, many of us. We put the God of money before him, or the God of sex before him, or the God of success before him, or the God of popularity, or the God of pleasure. It could be, it could be any God that we put before him. And it says that it breaks God's heart. He, he is so passionate about his relationship with you. Hosea 6.6, 6, Hosea has some beautiful language about our relationship to God. God says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Can you kind of see the passion in that verse? Again, this is hard to, to grasp. In that verse, Hosea 6.6, 6, circle the word love. I want you to show love, circle love. And I want you to know me, circle know. And then link those two together. Those are the first two purposes of your life, to know God and to love God. In fact, that's the reason you're created. That's the reason that you're on this planet. That's the reason you're still alive. God's whole reason for making you was to love you and know you and to have you know him and love him. God did not put you on this planet just to do stuff. God did not put you on this planet just to eat up resources. He didn't put you on this planet just to scratch things off your bucket list. He made you, you're here, to love him. He made you to get to know him and to love him. And if you miss that relationship, you miss the number one reason why you've been created. You miss the very purpose by which you're on this planet. Nothing is more important than that. You see, you can be the most successful person, the most famous person, the most wealthy person, the most accomplished person on the planet. But if you don't know God and love God, then you've missed the whole purpose of life. Because we weren't made simply to do things. God says, I want you to know me, and I want you to love me. And the Bible says that he, he planned this entire universe and all of history and your specific history, your personal life history. He's orchestrated it all together so that you could come to a place where you and he could be friends. Acts 17, 26, and 27. I love the message paraphrase in this. It says, starting from scratch, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable. What does that mean? He made the earth livable. It gives us all the oxygen, all the water, everything we need to live on the earth. He made the earth hospitable for human beings with plenty of time and space for living. Why? Why did he do that? So that, circle the phrase so that, because this is giving you the why. 
so that we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. This is God's number one plan and purpose for your life. How in the world is this even possible? I mean, we're visible, God's invisible. We're weak, God's omnipotent. We're imperfect, he's perfect. How does a flawed, finite creature have a friendship with an unflawed, perfect, omnipotent, invisible God? How is that going to happen? There's only one way. That's through Jesus Christ. So let me give you some practical steps on how to really deepen your friendship with God. Or maybe start a friendship with God if that's your case. How do we build that friendship? I just have five things basically for you to jot down. Just five things. Number one, if you're going to build a relationship with God, a friendship with God, I have to make knowing God my number one priority. You're never going to become a friend of God in your spare time. It can't just be an accessory. It can't just be something I'm going to do once a month on a Sunday. My number one priority in life, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. So we should do it first, first thing every day. One of the things I suggest is when you get up out of bed, when you sit up and you put your feet on the floor before you even put any weight on your feet, I suggest you just, you just shoot up a prayer to God. Say, God, no matter what happens today, help me to know you better and love you more by the end of the day. And honestly, no matter what happens to your day, if you have a really bad day, the car won't start, something keeps you from getting to work, the kids go crazy, no matter how bad your day is, if at the end of the day you've gotten to know God better and love Him more, it's a successful day. And the truth is the opposite. No matter how great a day you think you have, no matter how many accomplishments, no matter how many green lights you hit that day, if at the end of the day... I don't know God a little bit better and love Him a little bit more. It doesn't matter how many things seemed good that day. It wasn't a good day. So I've got to make my number one priority of my life getting to know God. Philippians 3.8 says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded Everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Make it my number one priority. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. God says it this way. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are we doing that? Let me just ask you one-on-one. Are you doing that? Are you seeking God with all your heart every day? Not likely for most of us. We're going to become a friend of God when we seek Him with all of our heart, when we want to be a friend of God. I want you to write this down. I'm as close to God as I choose to be. I'm as close to God as I choose to be. Sometimes we feel like God is off in the distance, that He's drifted away from us, that He's he's far from us. Listen, you're as close to God, I'm as close to God as I want to be. You can't blame it on anybody else. You can't blame it on your, on your husband. You can't blame it on your wife. You can't blame it on your parents. You can't blame it on your kids. You're as close to God as you want to be.
And if you feel far from God right now, who moved? God didn't move. He says, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege. Being known by Him, being loved by God is our greatest pleasure. Later in Jeremiah 9, I did not give you these verses. It's verse 23 and 24. It says, The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if someone wants to brag, let him brag that he really understands and knows me. Why? Because that's what life is all about. Have you ever bragged the fact that I'm a friend of God? Me and God are like this. We're close. We're buds. we're We're tight. Knowing God is what matters most. And nothing is more important than that relationship in your life. And nothing will affect your other relationships more than your relationship with Him. How do we know when God is not our best friend? How do we know when that relationship isn't as close as it should be? Jesus actually gives us the warning signs in Matthew chapter 6. He he gives us the, the symbol, the characteristic, the concluding mark of a person who doesn't know God or who isn't practicing the presence of God at that moment. And Jesus said in Matthew 6 that the warning light is worry. How many times do we worry? What do we worry about? When we worry, it means I'm not trusting God at that moment. I don't know God in His presence in my life at that moment. I've forgotten who He is or what He said or what He's promised to do in my life. When we're worrying, we're acting like a practical atheist. When we're wringing our hands, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this, about that? You know, we worry about so many different things. We're not, we're not practicing the presence of God. Man, when, when Adam and Eve are walking with God, they're not worried about anything. When Jerry or you are walking with God, we don't have to be worried about anything. So I have to make it number one of my, my number one priority. Number two, if you'll jot it down, I got to slow down and be quiet. Slow down and be quiet. And I put the word quiet because that's why we call it a quiet time. I've got to, I've got to, to have a friendship with God, I've got to take some time and I've got to get alone, just me and him, and I've got to be quiet and I've got to listen. Listen, we, friendship with God is like any other friendship. You got to spend time together. If we don't make time for our human friends, Eventually, they, they don't become our, they're not our friends anymore. And if God's going to be our best friend, then we've got to give our best time to God. Psalm 46.10 says, famous verse, be still or quiet. Slow down. Be still and know that I am God. So we've talked about this before. We need to have a daily quiet time with God. If you want help of the practical ways to be equipped to have a daily quiet time with God, sign up for Class 201, the one that Pastor Rich teaches about uh, maturity, spiritual maturity, discovering spiritual maturity, and he'll, he'll equip you to do that. Psalm 25:14 says, The Lord is the friend of those who obey him, and he affirms his covenant with them. Most people on this planet do not They don't know God. They don't know about God or how He acts or His principles or His ways. They don't know really what's going on in the world. Why? Because that wisdom is reserved for those who 
love God, know God, obey God, have reverence for Him. Because they sit down and they slow down. And you have a quiet time and you spend time with God. Read His Word. Listen. God, is there anything you want to say to me today? And then I'm quiet. I listen. And you know, you don't have to use any big fancy phrases when you're alone with God, when you're having a conversation with Him. You don't have to do the these and thous and who arts and where arts and what arts and evermorts will be. <laughs> you don't have to pray in King James. No, you just, you just talk to God and you just be as authentic as, as we're talking right now. Matthew 6, verse 5 and 6, I love the message paraphrase of this, where it says, again, when you come before God, don't turn this into a theatrical performance or production. Just find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. So I make knowing God my number one priority. And I slow down, and I get quiet. Number three, the key to having a friendship with God, I've got to decide whose friendship I want the most. We don't have time for everybody to be our best friend. And if everybody's going to be our best friend, we won't have time for God in our life. So we've got to decide, what do I want most from my best friend? I have to decide where my time goes. Because our time is really our life. We all know people that are into things. It's crazy what people are into nowadays, right? I mean, they're into so many different things. You meet a guy and he knows every baseball stat, every baseball score by score stat for the last 30 years. Or you meet somebody and they know every stock market, every market trend, every flex in, in, in the last five years of all the Dow Jones, all the NASDAQ stocks. Or you meet somebody and they're like, man, I, I know the lyrics to all the top ten songs no matter what they are. They, they know every word of every song. Or they know, they know all these recipes. They can write it out of the top of their head. They can, they can cook. They can bake just about anything. You, you, you meet people and they know so much about TV. They know everybody who's come and gone and left. Any soap opera or any uh, modern soap operas, I guess, or the reality shows. They know who's off, who's been thrown off the island or out of the house or handed a rose or not handed a rose. And they know all of this stuff. Or they know all the celebrities and who they're with or who they're not with, who they used to be with and all the stuff on TMZ. But they don't know God. They miss the most important thing in life. How in the world can anybody miss a fellowship, a friendship, a relationship with God? When he says, this is what I made you for. This is what I want. I want to be your friend. How in the world did they miss that? I'll tell you how. It's real simple. They care about other things more. That's why they're not a friend of God. They care about something else much, much more. Instead of the relationship that they were designed to have with their creator. James 4.4 4 says, You should know that, the lo that loving the world is the same as hating God. What does that mean? 
anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Are we confused yet? I don't understand this. It tells me here that I'm not supposed to love the world, but over here in John 3.16, the most famous verse in the whole Bible, it says, God so, so loved the world. So which is it? Am I supposed to love the world or not love the world? I mean, God so loved the world, but it tells me here, if I love the world, I become an enemy of God. It has to do with the meaning of the word world. In John 3.16, he's talking about the people of the world. In this passage, in James, he's talking about the value system of the world. God says, I want you to love the people of the world and hate the value system of the world. You know what the problem is? We get that all mixed up. We do the exact opposite. We end up loving the value system of the world and hating a lot of the people of the world. We love materialism. We love pleasure. We love... Popularity, we love prestige, we love possessions and position and passion. We love all the values of the world. And we end up hating a lot of the people of the world. God says, no, 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 you got it all backwards. He says, if you want to be my friend, friends value what friends, what their friend values. If I'm going to be your friend, God says, then you got to value what I value. you got to not value what I don't value. You've got to care about, if you're going to be a friend of God, you've got to care about what God cares about, who God cares about, and not care about what God doesn't care about. You know what God doesn't care about? God does not care about image. He doesn't care anything about how you appear, your image. He's not interested in your reputation. He's interested in your character. Not how you look, but who you are. That's what interests God. So I have to choose to value what God values. John 15, 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. So what is he saying? He's saying, You're my friends if you obey me. So I can't say that I love Jesus and, and then go live like the devil. I can't say that I'm a Christian and live a self-centered life. I can't say that I'm a Christ follower and then I pick and choose from the Bible which verses I want to apply and which verses I don't want to apply. Ignore the ones that I don't. Jesus says, no, no, no. You're my friend if you obey me and you, if you obey my commands. So why do we obey him? A lot of non-Christians get this wrong, and I'm surprised at how many Christians get this wrong. See, for a non-believer, they look at us and they go, well, you're a Christian. No, I don't want to be a Christian. You live such a restricted life. You have to obey God. You obey God because of guilt. You obey God because of, of fear. You obey God out of out of obligation, you obey God because you're afraid of his wrath. I hear you guys talk about wrath all the time. You obey God out of duty. No, I don't obey God for any of those reasons. Why do I obey God? Because he loves me. He loves me more than any of you will ever love me or anyone will ever love me. We, owe, we love God because he first loved us. We obey God because of his love for us. In fact, the Bible tells us the only reason there's any love in the world at all is because God is love. We love, we obey God not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of obligation. If you're a friend of God, if you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, we obey God because he loves us, because he saved us. Past forgiven, purpose for living, home in heaven. 
I love you, God. I'm going to obey you. First, um, John 15, verse 9 and 10 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Jesus is our example in this. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus obeyed what the Father was asking him to do because he knew how much the Father loved him. He doesn't say, I want you to, I want you to obey me because you're scared to death of me, because you're afraid I'm going to punish you, because you're afraid of my wrath. Because if you obey because of fear of wrath, because God's going to get you because of that cosmic lightning bolt, it leads to misery and drudgery. Jesus, in fact, says, I want you to obey me out of love because that leads to joy. That's going to lead you to a life of joy. When you obey out of love, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, some Christians have twisted that all around and said, you better prove you love Jesus by keeping his commandments. Keep his commandments to prove you love Jesus. That's backwards. We've got to love him. If you love, Focus on love. Focus on love. Focus on love in your relationship with him. The obedience, it'll take care of itself. Think about how that applies to your own kids. If our kids love us as their parents and trust us, They'll obey. Well, you say, well, Jerry, my kids obey because they're afraid of me. Yeah, that's not going to last long, bud. It won't last long. They're afraid of you today, and they, and they obey you today because they're afraid of you. I'm so sorry. Because it won't last long, and you will give up love for that. God loves us as a good, good father. And he says, I want you to obey me, but I'm not going to wrath you, zap you, punish you your punishment was taken on the cross that's what we're talking about this week i want you to obey me because you love me because you know i love you and want the best for you i could go on and on about that number four we're out of time i got to maintain a constant conversation with god let me say it this way okay you're never gonna build a deep friendship with god by just coming to church on sundays You've got to maintain a constant conversation with him. You've got to talk to God all the time about anything and everything and how you feel and what's going on. Whatever you're feeling all day long, 24 hours a day, you have to have this running conversation with God. And I know you're thinking, well, how do I do that, Jerry? I mean, that means I've got to go in my prayer closet. I've got to stay on my knees. I can never come. I've got to become a monk. No, 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 no. There's a time for that. There's a time for a quiet time. When you're alone with God, the rest of the time when you're out in the world, you're still having a conversation with him. You're praying to him constantly. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Never, circle that word never, never stop praying. I can talk to God all the time just like I'm talking to you. In fact, while I'm talking to you right now, I'm able to talk with God at the same time. You're like, you've never done that before? First service, I knocked my sermon all over the place. I had to flip around for all the pages while everybody was laughing at me. Now I was still trying to stall and talk. I was saying, God, help me find this place. Help me find this place. And it's not anywhere near as much as they were playing, praying in the sound booth for me to find my right place. We can talk to someone and still have a conversation in our own mind. Have you ever done that? You're talking with somebody, but you're thinking to yourself, what is this bozo's deal? Right? You're talking to yourself. You're hearing him, and you're going, this guy is crazy. Right? 
Hopefully that's not in your marriage. That's just, you know, at a Walmart or something. You can have multiple conversations. Think about how you text. You can be texting five people all day long, right? I mean, it's not like we're, like, totally blowing up each other's phones. I mean, some of you are like that. You, you don't know that. You don't have to send return every single word, right? But you can, I can be, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. What's going on? Later I can go, having lunch. See you later. What do you have? Burrito, you know. You, you, you can carry a conversation, and it's the same way with God. He says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Pray all the time. So while I'm talking to you, while I'm preaching this message, I can be talking to God at the same time about you. By the way, God says, you're cool. He loves you. Let me ask you a question. Would your life be better if you prayed as much as you text? Would your life be better if you prayed as much as you're on social media? Oh, my. Would your life be better if you prayed as much as you talk on the phone? Just keep a conversation going with God. You don't have to bow your head and close your eyes to talk to God. In fact, if you're driving, you shouldn't do that. All right, last verse. And I give, I'm giving you this verse in the Amplified Version. I don't use the Amplified Version very much because it just it amplifies. It like over-explains. But there's sometimes when the Amplified Version is like the best version. Because for those of you who are like, well, what does that mean? What does he mean by that? In the Amplified Version, it spells it all out in great, great detail. Some of you, you love this. Philippians 3.10, Paul writes and says, My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I love the Amplified. Maintain a conversation. Talk to God all the time. Let's pray and ask him to help us. While we bow our heads and we close our eyes, if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time to accept the gift of forgiveness and freedom and grace and a future in heaven. Maybe you've known about God. But you would say today, you know, I haven't really been a friend of God. So why don't you just pray this prayer in your heart? You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say this in your mind. Just say, dear God, I want to be your friend. Just in your mind, say that. God, I want to be your friend. And I want it to be the most important thing in my life. I thank you, God, that I matter to you. That I matter enough that you sent Jesus to die for me. God, thank you for wanting me as your friend. I want to learn to know you and to trust you. So I humbly ask you to accept me into your family. I know I don't deserve it. And I can't, I can't earn your forgiveness. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me and today I'm accepting and I'm saying I want to believe in you Jesus and God I want to belong in your family and I pray this in Jesus' name Amen Thanks so much for joining us today with Easter coming up there's a lot happening here at SDC so I wanted to share a couple of those things 
Our egg hunt extravaganza is this coming Saturday, April 3rd. If you want more information about that event, you can find out all the details on our website. We are also going to have three Easter services next week, all streamed online at 8, 9.30, and 11 on Easter Sunday. I hope that you'll plan to join us. You're also welcome to join us in person if you feel comfortable. If you'd like to gather in person on Easter, just head on over to the website and you'll see a place to reserve your seat on the homepage. Well, that's it. We will be back next week at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. in person and online. Have a great and blessed week, everyone. Bye.